All right, so we're in part four, I think, of our series, this magazine series on Corinthian-style magazine. We're looking at the whole book of Corinthians in the lens of a magazine. Uh, we had a party at our house last night, and I did not put the picture on my screen, but I wanted to show you the picture of the aftermath. It was pretty amazing. Um, still looks that way, actually. And I was, was kind of milling around in the basement where all the kids were playing, and I found this toy. It's my toy. It's a toy that I had when I was a kid. It is... Five years ago, I would have said, have you ever heard of the Transformers? But I don't have to say that anymore. I just say, it's a Transformer. You guys know what a Transformer is, don't you? This is, ironically, even to date us even more, Mike, this is a cassette tape. <laughs> this is a, you, what is his name? Soundwave. The cassette tape is or the, or the boombox? It's it's, this is the bird. It transforms into like a, you had that? It's a, it's a cassette tape that transforms into a flying ah, bird. When I was a kid, I used to put, carry because it was the only transformer that was small enough that I could carry in my pocket to school. I'd carry it every day to school. And nowadays, if they were to re, now that they're remaking Transformers, they couldn't do it. You know what I mean? Because you don't have cassettes anymore. It would have to be a, an MP3 player or something, you know? It could even be a CD, because kids don't even carry CDs. They don't even know what a CD is. Why is it skipping, Daddy? You don't know? It's called a scratch. It's called, if you, it's called you not take care of it. Anyway, this is a, uh, I found this this morning, and I was, I was, I was, the kids must have found it last night in the, in the room. So I'm going to carry it around in my pocket all the time. Would you guys think I was weird if I carried this in my pocket every day? Just a little bit? You'd be embarrassed if your pastor carried a Transformer cassette tape in his pocket? No? Well, because they were going to talk about being a baby. Being a baby in Christ. The baby Christian who drinks only milk. Can I give you a warning before we go on any further? You're going to be offended at my message today. You will. Because there's no way that I can stand here and talk about baby, immature Christians and you not think that I'm talking about you. It's just not possible. It's like if I were to stand here and talk about money. Every single one of you would leave and say, he was talking to me. He wants me to give more. You know what I mean? Because you just naturally feel convicted about your immaturity. Because we all, raise your hand if you, if you admit that you're immature. Okay, so you're going to, you, so see, I want you to see all the hands in the room. So you're going to think, he was talking to me. And I want you to know, no, I wasn't. I was talking to all of you, okay? And to me, and to me. We're all immature. We're all, we all run this risk. So don't think that's about you. I needed to say that because I don't want anyone of you to leave, okay? I'm not trying to offend you, but I am trying to, well, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to show you what the Bible says and let us all come to it with, with clean, pure hearts and say, Lord, how can, how can I be changed by this? So can we agree to do that together without offense? Because I'm, a, I'm as big as baby as all of you. I have a transformer in my pocket right now. <laughs> okay. So to recap, last week we looked at, Paul gave us two categories. He said there's the natural man and the spiritual man. And I gave you a funny illustration to remember. The natural man is all natural, meaning he has no preservative. So he has nothing to preserve him. He's just all natural, and he's just a human being. The spiritual man has a preservative, and that preservative is the Holy Spirit that preserves us to the end. And so the natural man is natural, no preservative. The spiritual man has the Spirit of God living in him, so he's spiritual. And here's the verse that we ended with last week. I know last week was long and heady and theological and philosophical, so let me just recap those last two verses because we're going to come back to them this week. Paul says, the natural person... The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness or stupidity to him. And he is not able to even understand them because those things are spiritual things. So the natural man who has no spirit can understand spiritual things. That makes sense, doesn't it? 
This is why I said you've got friends who are not Christians, who you can share a sermon online with them, or you can share a book with them, or you can say you need to read Timothy Keller, or you need to read um, even something even smaller than that, like maybe you know, less heady than that, like you know, Purpose Driven Life or something, and they'll read it and say, yeah, whatever. But you and I will read it and say, oh my gosh, this is, this is so good. Um, lit- I wanted you to see this. Um, in the Greek, if you look at the Greek, the word that Paul uses for natural man could literally be translated a soul-ish human. So it's a human who has a soul, okay? The natural man is a soul-ish human, a human with a soul. But then Paul says in the next verse, verse 15, the spiritual person, the spiritual man, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no natural man, by no human. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Who tells God what to do? And then we ended beautifully last week with this verse and communion, but we have the very mind. We have the mind of Christ. So the spiritual person is someone who has the spirit inside of him, and because we have the spirit inside of him, and that spirit is inside of God, and that spirit is inside of Jesus because of the beautiful mystery of the Trinity, we have also the mind of God or the mind of Christ living in us. And just to clarify this, I know we're still heady from last week, but we're almost finished. Um, the spiritual man in Greek is literally means belonging to the spirit, spiritual lawless. You know, I mean, we belong to the spirit. So if I can, real quickly, contrast these two things, and then we'll move on to chapter three. The natural man has no spirit, and he's just natural. And a natural man can do nothing but take things as men do, or people do, right? We, they, they're controlled by their flesh. Their flesh controls them. The spiritual man has the spirit, and the spirit, he belongs to the spirit, and the spirit belongs to him. And so he has something inside of him, including the very mind of Christ, to be able to be led by Christ and to led by the spirit. That's obvious, isn't it? Anyone confused by that? Well, let me, so recap, two people, right? Natural man, spiritual man. But today, Paul's going to introduce a third type of person. And I want you to know from the get-go, this is a very controversial statement that I'm going to make that I believe Paul makes. And I'll prove to you why I believe he makes it and why I believe it. So are you ready for the third person? Two types of people, obviously, saved and unsaved. Amen? But then there's this third person here, and it might be you today. Paul's going to introduce us to this third person called the carnal man. The carnal man. Let me read this passage for you in chapter 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, Paul says, could not address you as spiritual people. So he calls them brothers, brothers in Christ. I couldn't, I couldn't address you as spiritual ones, but instead I had to address you as fleshly ones. He doesn't say natural person there. He says fleshly ones. Or as infants, babies in Christ. And because of that, I fed you milk, not solid food, for you were not even yet ready. So, just to give you some more Greek, for those of you who are interested, um, the Greek word that Paul uses for baby or carnal um, is sarkikos. The word sarki is Greek for, or sarks is your flesh. Paul uses the term flesh a lot in Romans and Galatians. Flesh, flesh, the flesh. You know what I mean? It's this bad thing. But sarkikos means like the flesh. Say that with me, like the flesh. It's not to be confused with sarkinos. 
That's the, that's the one that I put the line through, not sarkinos. Sarkinos it literally is translated the flesh. So let me just step back a little bit away from, away from Corinthians 3, verse 1, and let me step over into some dialogue. Um, in the, in, the, in the New Testament, Paul uses this idea of the flesh in a very negative sense, right? Who will set me free from this body of flesh that I'm bondaged to? Remember that? The flesh wages war against our spirit. You remember those verses? That's sarkinos. That's the flesh. All of us have it. I have the flesh. Quite a bit of it, to be honest with you, right? <laughs> and that flesh, man, who would agree with me? It pulls on you, Right? Let me give you some examples. I cannot watch Dancing with the Stars, okay? I'm just going to end right there. You know where I'm going with that, right? I I cannot, um, there's lots of things I cannot do. Would you agree? There's places I cannot be. There's things I cannot see. There's things I cannot listen to. There's movies I cannot watch because my flesh just says, oh, I want more of it. More, right? That's the flesh. For instance, in Romans 8, for instance, Paul says this, we are debtors. Not to the flesh. So we have a flesh that says, go, eat more, drink more, lust more, get more, greed more, take more, hit people, defend yourself more. That's what it's all about, greed, the flesh. He says, no, 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 we're not of the flesh. We're not debtors. We're not enslaved to our flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. (laughs) And you know that already, right? If you, if you eat too much, you're going to die. If you drink too much, you're probably going to end up dying. If you take too much drugs, you're going to die. If you're selfish, you won't have any friends, and then you'll die. If you lust too much, you might die. I've heard that you could die for lusting too much. Um, but if you obey, obey the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of your flesh, and then you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We looked at this when we studied Galatians. The acts of the flesh are malice and greed and hostility and lust and wickedness and evil, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, all of those things. So if we all have the flesh, all of us do. We were born with it. It's just the way it goes. It came from the fall. And that flesh, man, it tugs us to go a certain way. If you're a natural man, and if you were natural, meaning you had no preservative, no spirit, you would almost have no option but to go with the flesh. You might have a conscience, and you might not go to the flesh. There are people who make good choices without the Spirit, I think. They have the, the common grace of God, theologically speaking. But their flesh is really in control. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit says to you, no. And you know it, right? You feel it. One way you feel is when you sin and you know you shouldn't, you feel it immediately. Guilty. Guilt. The spirit inside of you convicts you and says, you know this is not good. And you, and you confess it and you say, Lord, give me strength and I'll try again. I'm not saying anything you don't already know, right? Because you guys are masters at this. You live it. Am I right? Say, say amen, Michael. You live it. Your flesh pulls you. Your spirit pulls you back. The carnal person, on the other hand, is someone who has the spirit of God. And yet they're letting the flesh win most of the time. Just like a baby. A baby always lets the flesh win. A baby doesn't know better. <laughs> Sorry, Barrett. We're not talking ill about you, only because you don't understand what I'm saying. <laughs> but the quicker you can, the better. <laughs> He's offended. <laughs> Told you. Everyone would be. Verse 3, I'm going to recap what he says. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. I couldn't address you as people who were led by the Spirit, but I had to address you as people who were just like the flesh because you were babies in Christ. 
So I fed you milk, not food, because you weren't even mature or ready enough from the food. Um, so, so far, I want you to see this. Look at the verse on the screen. Without reading too much into it, isn't it pretty clear, it is to me, that Paul has not necessarily said anything negative about the Corinthians yet. He hasn't said anything negative to them. He said, when I was with you, which was five years ago, just to give you some historical background, five years ago when I planted this church and I was there, I treated you like infants in Christ. I couldn't give you meat, I gave you milk. That's not necessarily a bad thing, is it? I mean, if you planted a church and you had a lot of new converts, you wouldn't necessarily bombard them with a lot of meat, you would give them milk. You would, because they're babies in Christ and you want them to grow. And so being a baby isn't a bad thing. Drinking milk, I need to tell you, isn't a bad thing. I like milk. It's good for you. It does the body good, right? (laughs) Paul is not necessarily saying that milk is bad. He's just saying that when I was with you five years ago, I was unable to give you some of the things I could have given you because you were just mere babies in Christ. I had to speak to you as babies and even speak to you as fleshly ones because you were so consumed by the flesh. You were so carnal. So being a baby is not bad. In fact, First Peter, or Peter says in First Peter, he tells us, like newborn infants, babies, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. So milk isn't bad. Man, I would love to give you milk every week. I hope that I at least give you some milk, right? Grow, drink it, consume it. Vitamin D, fortified, heavy whipping cream. You know what I mean? Let's get some milk. It's good for you. It's not bad. Can, I, can we all just agree that being a baby isn't necessarily a bad thing? He says you were infants in Christ. Do you see that? And when Paul uses the word in Christ, you need to know it's a heavy theological term. He's saying that we are in Jesus. We died with Christ and resurrected with Christ. So we are, these, Christ, these Corinthians are Christians. They're in Christ. Remember the first chapter when he says, you have every spiritual gift that you need. I thank God for you because you've heard the gospel and you've evidenced in your life. These are Christians, but they're just babies living according to the flesh. So again, being a baby isn't bad. I have three of them. Some of them aren't babies anymore, but I still have pictures of them when they were. Aren't babies just a joy? Oh, man, I love, I love my babies. Like, I, I, I'm, I get sad when I see pictures of them when they were babies, and I'm like, oh, man, he was so much cuter three years ago. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like they, were, they didn't have an attitude back then. They just, they just kind of like, <laughs> you know, and they were just always so cute. I saw Hadessa talking on the phone today. She's like, blah, 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 blah. Okay, bye. And speak it up. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, bye. She did it like ten times. Blah 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 blah. Okay, bye. And all she really, all I really made out was okay, bye, like twelve times. But it was just so cute. It was so cute. You see that picture on the screen? And I don't know about you, but it makes me want to put that in my yard. We have put this in our yard, right? This this little pool, this little sandbox. And the kids just like, oh, can we go out there and play in the pool? Yes, yes, you can go out there and play in the pool. And they're out there, and they're splashing, and they're playing in the pool. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Someone say right. But if you drove by my house and saw me in that kiddie pool, <laughs> this is so fun, <laughs> and I'm kicking the kids out, get out of the pool, it's mine, <laughs> give me that ducky, it's my ducky, mom, it's my ducky. If you saw that, that would be wrong, wouldn't it? I almost took a picture of me in the kiddie pool, aren't you glad I didn't? <laughs> if it wasn't raining, I would have done it. There'd be something desperately wrong with that. If you see a grown man acting like a child, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Oh my gosh, who does he think he is? He acts like a kid. Raise your hand if you know adults who act like kids. All right, so that's what Paul's saying here. That's what he says. We're right here. 
Um, he said, I came to you, speaking to you as babies, I couldn't give you meat. Chapter 3, verse 3b, he says, and even now, even now, five years later, you're not ready. And this is where he starts to turn a little bit and, and, and attack them. When I came to you as babies, that's one thing. But even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. You're still carnal. You're Christians in Christ, but you're letting the flesh get the best of you. You're following after the flesh. You have a spirit within you that guides you, and you have all this power in your life, but you're not allowing it to affect you. Instead, you're acting like a mere man, he says. And he goes on. Let me tell you, I want to tell you, okay, let me, I'm getting excited. I've heard sermons before. I might have even preached one six years ago that said something like this. Milk is baby Sunday school type messages and meat is the holiness of the temple and the candlesticks and the Ark of the Covenant. You know what I mean? And so milk is the baby stuff and meat is the heavy theology. Hogwash. If you know anything by now from our parables study, that's not what Jesus is interested in. He's not interested in how much you know. And that would contradict chapter 1 and chapter 2, which isn't about wisdom, right? It's about Jesus. It's not about how Jesus, God is not interested in the brilliant. He's interested in the guilty, period. You're guilty, I got you. You're brilliant, what can I do with you? You're too smart for your own good anyway, you know? He's not after that. He's after the guilty. So it's not milk equals Sunday school and meat equals seminary. And I'll tell you why. Look what he says. Even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. You're still carnal because there is jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh and behaving as a mere human being? So what's the issue? The issue is immaturity. Not smarts, right? Not, oh, you finally got smart enough, we can understand Daniel's 70 weeks. No, it's not that. It's you're immature, You've got Jesus in your heart, but you're still bickering. You're still fighting. You're still being rude. You're still gossiping. You're still striving. You're still jealous of one another. Are you not babies? Grow up. Who cares whose rubber ducky it is? Get on with your life. That's what Paul's saying to the Corinthians. And I'm just going to be honest with you. That's the end of my sermon. We're done early. But I, wanted to, I want to just camp here for a little bit because I don't know about you. Maybe you agree with me. Maybe you don't. But I think there's a lot of babies I've told you before, there is this fascination with the so-called fake or poser Christian, right? He comes to church, he says all the right things, he tithes maybe, he has a big John MacArthur study Bible, but he doesn't know Jesus really. And when Jesus comes, he's going to say, I never knew you, and they're going to rot in hell. I mean, there's a lot of sermons like that, a lot of them. And all my life, I've sat next to all those people, including thinking I was one of those people. Because I don't love Jesus the way I should. I'll tell you that. And I don't love the poor the way I should. And I don't give the way I should. And I don't care the way I should. I'll just tell you that. So every time I heard that sermon, I'm like, maybe that's me. Maybe I'm a poser. In fact, I'm a pastor, so I'm more likely to be a poser than you are. Because you're here out of your own volunteering. I'm here in some way because this is my job. <laughs> You know what I mean? Or because this is my dream. And because you're listening to me and I get to talk. Right? So in some ways, I could be a bigger poser than all of you. But I've told you before, I don't agree with that. Um, I've had friends who were Christian. <laughs> That's the way we say it, right? They're Christian. But they weren't living like Christians. 
And everyone says, I don't think they're really Christians. They're just pretending. And I'm like, the Bible says, test the spirits. And if he says in his spirit, Jesus is Lord, then he's, then he's saved. He's just carnal. He's just a baby. He doesn't get it yet. And I've watched those guys go off to army, get drunk, get knock up a girl, and then come back and say, I'm back. I'm with Jesus again. I'm like, I knew you. you. He goes, do you think maybe I lost my way or I lost my faith? I don't, I don't know what you lost, but Jesus never lost you. I know that. I bet you have people like that in your life. I bet you might even be like that. You might be someone who said, man, for most of my life I thought I knew until one day I heard a message or I read a book or I heard a song on my way to work and things just changed for me. And I began to stop thinking this and start. These things became more valuable to me. I don't, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not willing to say that's when you got saved. I think you were saved when you said you were saved. You confess the Lord with your mouth. You're saved. It just took you a while to submit to the Spirit. Some of us are pretty stubborn. The author of Hebrews says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you still need someone to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature. So you see this author, who's not Paul, saying almost the same thing. It's okay if you're a baby, but at some point in your life, you need to grow up. At some point in your life, you need to stop being a baby, and you need to be mature. Here's my discussion question. In what ways, again, you're going to be offended, but I don't care. In, which way, in what ways is it clear that you've grown up in maturity? This is a happy, this is a happy question. Um, I bet you, you, I hope you can, tell stories of, you know what? Five years ago, I used to be a pretty big jerk on this issue, but the Lord has done some work in my life. And I'm much more gentle now than I've ever been. I'm much more humbler now than I've ever been. I used to lust a lot. I gave that to the Lord. I don't anymore, by the grace of God. Um, and then after that, take about two minutes to have that question. And then the next question is, but to be honest, in what areas of your life are you still drinking milk? I, I'm just going to be honest with you. There's areas in my life where I'm like, man, I've been dealing with this for my whole life. My whole life. And by now, I should be like, you know, whey protein, you know what I mean? I should be at least beyond the milk, but I'm still struggling with this. I've not yet submitted it to God. I've not yet, I'm, I'm such a baby on this issue. You know what I'm saying? So we're gonna take a little more time than normal to discuss that, but is the discussion question okay? All right, good, that's good. Okay, well, for the sake of time, and I don't wanna, I love this conversation, it's really good. Um, I, I wanted to show you this, um, and again, before I, before, I, before I explain it to you, I want to first say this. For most of my life, I hated things like this. Did I just say that? For most of my life, I hated these trite Christian metric, metric systems, you know what I mean? Here's, here's how to measure where you are in the spiritual faith. Okay, that's, that's, I made that statement. However, I read a quote recently that said, that which is measured is managed, that which is not measured is not managed, right? So if you weigh yourself every day, you're going to try to manage that a little better. If you just don't weigh yourself because you don't care, then obviously you're not managing it. So as a Christian, we kind of do need to measure ourselves a little bit. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We should follow Paul's example. We should follow after Christ. I was at a pastor's conference about a year ago, and this chart was presented to us by a pastor from Chicago. And when I say pastor's conference, I think there's about 40 pastors in the St. Louis area at a big round table. This was projected up there, and it's kind of a metric system. It's not perfect, of course. We know it's not perfect. It's, we're not trying to get you to check boxes and say, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, yay, here I am. It's just to ask the question, where are you on spiritual growth? And so it starts off, I'm going to zoom in on the first one. It's called infant stage. Um, the infant stage 
there's the infant stage. And here's what the language and behaviors of an infant is. They're characterized by ignorance. Okay, so infants are just plain ignorant. Okay, they, 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 they're new to Jesus, but they're not so smart. Uh, don't be offended by this illustration, but one time I preached a sermon to some people, and there was a new Christian there, and afterwards he walked up to me and said, that was the best damn sermon I ever heard. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, what do I say? You know what I mean? Thanks for that. <laughs> it was kind of refreshing a little bit, but he was a young Christian, and he didn't know how else to say it except for the way he always would have said it. And But for me as a mature spiritual Christian, I was like, oh. <laughs> so he was just an immature. He speaks immaturely, but he's, he's growing. And then these outside circles, by the way, tell you if you're a disciple or what you do to that person. You share your life as an example. Show, let them live with you. I mean, not live with you, but come alongside you, eat with you, see how you parent, see how you treat your wife, share new truth, tell them why you do it that way. And then they begin to develop habits. I want to be like Mike. I want to follow the example of Mike as he follows Christ. I want to follow the example of Paul as he follows Then we move on to the next stage, which is you grow up a little bit and you become a child in your faith. We've all been here, I know. Language and behaviors are characterized by self-centeredness. A child is self-centered, right? That's my toy. It's my turn. You know what I mean? A child is self-centered. And so a child, as a self-centered person, is going to speak. You'll hear it. I promise you, you'll hear it. Um, They speak self-centeredly. Well, I don't like that song. We always sing this song. I don't like that church is going, going to be over five minutes late tonight. I can tell already. You know what I mean? I don't like, you know what I mean? There's not enough programs here. There's not a program for me. Me, me, me. You hear it. If you, if you have a child that you're mentoring or discipling, what you need to do is connect them to God. Just keep pointing them to Jesus. Um, here, here's what we're doing right at Missio Day. Connect them to a community group, a missional community group. And then connect them to purpose or mission. Give them something to do. Look, stop thinking of yourself. Start thinking of others. Get out there in the world and do things. Get, come into the community group and start thinking about others. When you come to community group, it's not about you. It's about everyone else at the table eating. Listen to everyone's problems. Pray for everyone. And you can show your problems. Sure, you know, don't, be, don't wear a mask. Let us know who you are. But start thinking about others. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. 40, I told you about 40 pastors in the circle. The guy says, if you were to characterize 90%, you know, your church... What would you say? Without a single exception, every pastor said, most of my church is child. They're selfish, selfish, selfish. They talk about themselves. They don't like the music. They didn't like that sermon. They don't know what we're doing with our money. They don't this, they don't that, they don't this. But they're not serving. They're not giving. They're not involved. They're just complaining all the time. They're just bait. They're just infants. They're just children. Can I move on before I step on any more toes? Young adult. Once you move past childhood, you become a young adult. Um, and then that language and, character, and behaviors are characterized by God-centeredness and other-centeredness. I did youth ministry for 20 years, and you, I could tell you, you could see it in kids, where they would move from being, I don't like this song, or I don't like this, to all of a sudden caring about other people. And there would always be one kid in the youth group who would bring people to church and pray for those kids and want to see those kids hear the message and, want, and show up early or stay late and say, what can I help you with, Mike? Can I clean up? Uh, you know how high school is, right? Where there's always that kid that no one likes, and then there's always cliques that never let them in. And I can tell you, my biggest frustration in youth ministry was those thinking cliques. And even, no matter how much I preached, and the kids would cry, say, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be clicky, and then they would just gravitate right back to clickiness. But then you'd see them grow up. They'd become young adults, and they'd start saying, that kid's sitting by himself, I'm going to invite them in. And can I just tell you, that kid who's sitting by himself is sitting by himself for a reason, He's not fun to talk to. He's not fun to, he's not an enjoyable person. And so it's a sacrifice to leave your clicky friends and go over here and say, so how you doing? Good. 
I'm doing good too, thanks for asking. Um, how, uh, have you seen any good movies lately? No. Why? I saw, did you see uh, Transformers? You know what I mean? And it's, they're hard to talk to, and you've got to, they don't ever ask you questions. You're always asking them questions, and the conversation just gets boring. Last one, adults. An adult, or in this, in this part of the quadrant, is characterized as a parent, because a parent is someone who has children, right? You, you have children when you're a parent. You can't be a parent without having children. And so in the spiritual world, it means you're producing. You're producing disciples. You're sharing the gospel. You're making baby Christians. And so a parent is someone who makes, has a discipleship process, is intentional. They're characterized by intentionality and strategy. They're looking out at people and saying, I can mentor this guy. I can mentor this guy. I can mentor this guy. And they're making babies. Again, if we had time, I would ask you, just between you and the Lord, and I'll say this as well, on any given week, you could be anywhere in that circle, I think. <laughs> some days you can be a child, some days you can be an adult, you know, sometimes you can be an adult. But 90% of the time, you're, you're probably in one spot. Would I be right on that? And I would challenge you to think about where you are. And so then you can ask yourself, I'm not a natural man, I am a spiritual man, but I have a lot of carnal, babyish tendencies, and I need to grow up. And I do believe that in a church plant, you see it even ex exponentially. In a big church, you don't, wouldn't see it as much. But in a small church, we really got to like, I mean, that selfishness and that neediness, and this is what, you know, if this church doesn't have what I need, or it's not growing fast enough, or we don't have the men's ministry, or we don't have the women's ministry, we're leaving, or we're going to a bigger church that has those things. I'm not saying that those people are selfish, but I'm saying that is, in a sense, selfishness, because if you stay and you hunker down and you put it together, we can, we can build. It's not about those things, right? It's about being on a purpose, being on a mission, being together. Anyway, it's hard. I, I'm saying that because I've heard other church planters say that and because I really feel like that. I feel like we, as a small church, need to huddle in, love each other, and work on maturity because if you go somewhere else, you're just going to continue to live in your immaturity. That's one of the problems I think we have with the American church. The more commercialistic the church, which is which most of them, I'm not saying we're better than everyone. I'm just saying we're trying not to be commercialistic. You just can sit in there and continue to get spoon-fed and you don't grow. I mean, someone say amen to that, so I know I'm, I'm on the other same page. We're, we're, the, the truth of the matter is we need to own up to our immaturity and stop saying, well, you know what I mean? I'm a Christian, blah, blah, There is a process here. Plants grow, children grow, businesses grow, churches grow, and gosh darn it, people grow. And we have to grow. Let me read one last passage to point us back to Jesus. Everyone's favorite, Philippians 2. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, we've got selfless love, encouragement, right, in the church, not immaturity, but maturity, any comfort from love, any per, um, participation in the spirit and affection and sympathy, complete my joy, Paul says, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, not arguing, not fighting, not being silly, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind. Remember, Paul says we have the mind of Christ. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You already have it, but so have it. <laughs> Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being found in the form of a human. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, someone say amen, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father Almighty. Jesus left his home, 
humbled himself to the point of death so that he would be exalted, so that we would say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Forget about self, love Jesus. Someone would say that that's a radical kind of love. Can I challenge you on something? What Jesus did sounds like a radical kind of love. Giving up, you know, his home in heaven, dying for our sins, it sounds like a radical kind of love. But can I push back against that and say, it sounds like an ordinary kind of love to me. Ordinary love would be enough, wouldn't it? Um, you two just came out with a song called Ordinary Love, and it says, we could not go any lower or any higher if we cannot understand just ordinary love. It's ordinary love. Ordinary love would do this. If I loved you ordinarily, I would die for you. If I loved you ordinarily, I would be selfless, consider you greater than myself. That's just ordinary love. That's just love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. We need to love you more. We love one another, and yet we need to love...